0: In Luke chapter
1: 20, Jesus is having a conversation with some Sadducees who are questioning him about certain things he believes. The Sadducees tended to be the elite in Israel, very influential, affluential, and also being more intellectual in some respects. They discounted supernatural elements, Of the Word of God. For instance, they did not believe in spirits, they did not believe in angels, nor did they believe in the resurrection. And they were critiquing Jesus' beliefs in that particular area. Jesus responded to them with this statement He said, They which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. What a powerful statement! That's one of the names God has given his people children of the resurrection. And that very act of resurrection is going to bring us forth in full manifestation as sons and daughters of God. In fact, the Bible says that the whole creation groans together until now, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I believe that will take place when the great trumpet sounds, when Jesus descends from heaven, when the dead in Christ rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Greek word that is translated resurrection there is anastasis and it means a standing up again. Now it can be a reference to that final grand event or it can also refer to an overflow of resurrection power from the empty tomb into our lives right now to resurrect us, to raise us up again when we get knocked down in life, mentally, emotionally, if you get crushed by some circumstance in life, either damage done to you by others or failures and mistakes, you make yourself and death makes a second play for your soul. There's resurrection life in you that will cause you to stand up again. And really that's a portion of what the word means. This week is a week when we set our minds on the crucifixion, on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and many will be teaching on those grand historical events that were the pivot points of the human race. Everything changed in this world as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, but I want to make it all the more practical as well as historical, And so on this podcast, I'm going to be talking about seven things that are present tense benefits of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things that happen in people's lives right here, right now, as we journey toward that grand resurrection day that will be the climax of the process when the dead in Christ shall rise. But let's draw the focus tight on what it means to you today in your life and in your walk with God. Number one, it means deliverance from spiritual death. Yes, there is an overflow from the empty tomb that can take the worst sinner and restore righteousness to that person and hope and the character of God filling that person so that there's a change in personality altogether. Let me give you a scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. See, when Jesus came out of the grave, All those who would ever set their faith on him, and all those who would ever set their faith on that grand event, because the scripture says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we shall be saved. So we connect with that event, and there's an overflow. It's like plugging into an electric current almost, but in a much more powerful, supernatural sense. That resurrection life pours into us and quickens us and makes us alive again and looses us from the bondage of spiritual death. When we received the resurrected Savior into our hearts, it's like the resurrection process began spiritually and it will culminate physically. Just like Adam in his fallen state died spiritually spiritually, and began dying physically. And the culmination of the process happened hundreds of years later when he actually physically died. So believers are first resurrected spiritually on their way to complete physical resurrection at the coming of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means everything that you have faced, that is a negative effect of being dead in trespasses and sins, the deadness that seeps into you emotionally, the deadness that seeps into you mentally, the depression, the fear, the struggles with unbelief, the struggles with ego and pride, the struggles that go on internally, God just reaches down into that mess in your life, the lust, the rebellion, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, all the damage that's been done to you. And he resurrects you out of that corruption and establishes you with the nature of God inside. Because the Bible said you put off the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. You're renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness and a lot of other divine characteristics and attributes. because the new man is created with joy and peace and love and it drives out the darkness of that former nature. It's like a spiritual resurrection. Then number two, you receive the restoration of spiritual breath. What do I mean by that? The restoration of spiritual breath. Well, I believe in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, it says that when God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, that he breathed into that form and Adam became a living soul. When he fell, I believe he still had a soul, but it was a dead soul. It was infused with the death dealing effects of rebellion against God. And the breath of God took its flight because see, God doesn't breathe oxygen and nitrogen and hydrogen, the gaseous vapors that fill the atmosphere. If so, then God would have to dwell on the earth or he would die of asphyxiation because I'm sure there's no oxygen in heaven. It's another higher realm altogether. No, the breath of God is the divine essence. It's the divine nature. I believe God breathed himself into Adam. And when Adam sinned, God's presence departed from him, and he plunged into the abyss of a lost state. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples in the upper room. And the Bible says In John chapter 20, verse 22, that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that was a reinstatement of what Adam lost in the beginning. That's why I question some of the songs that we sing, like the song, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. Well, that's not really true. The spirit of God is not in ordinary breath that flows in and out of the lungs of all human beings. The spirit of God is contained in the breath of God that is only breathed into those who are redeemed and saved. Number three, the third effect of the resurrection that is a present tense benefit in your life right here, right now in your journey with God is justification and righteousness. And you'll see that the two go together. In Romans chapter four, verse 25, it says that Jesus was delivered for our offenses. That means he was delivered up to death on the cross. He was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. I love the word justification. It means to be legally acquitted of all guilt and reckoned righteous in the sight of God, just as if we never sinned. What an amazing truth. No wonder Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us? And that's even more true in a new covenant sense. Why would you say as far as the east is from the west and not say as far as the north is from the south? Because if you travel north toward the North Pole, once you top the globe, you start traveling south again. So it's a circuit over and over again that repeats itself from north to south to north to south to north to south, but if you start traveling east, you will never meet west again. Now, don't blow a fuse trying to figure that out in your mind, but I believe wording it that way was God's way of saying you will never face your sins again as far as the east is from the west why because he has given us according to romans 5:17 the gift of righteousness and according to second corinthians 5:21 we become the righteousness of god in christ think of that that you become a vessel filled with god's own righteousness and your sins have been blotted out as if they are no more, because he was raised for our justification. God resurrects you out of the grips of the memories, the negative memories of the failures of your past. He said, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more, and if God forgets them, it's about time you forget them because he's omniscient, and there's no way that he can fail to remember something if he chooses to. But the God of omniscience, of all knowledge, chooses to forget the sins of your past. So why don't you choose to forget and start living in the joy of the present? The next thing that is a present tense benefit of the resurrection is hope. I love the acrostic for hope, H-O-P-E having only positive expectations. When you link up with the one who conquered death, conquered Satan, conquered sin, conquered hell, conquered the grave, conquered all the enemies of the human race, conquered eternal death, as well as the temporal effects of death, you have hope. Others have no hope, but you have hope beyond description. Peter launched his first epistle with this praise statement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Something alive is growing and multiplying. That's what signifies life, or that's what indicates life. If something is alive, it's growing. Every human being grows your entire life. You may say, well, I stopped growing when I was about 16. No, there's two parts of you that have never stopped growing. That's your ears and your noses. Yeah, I know that's kind of a weird thing to think about. But when a tree stops growing, it's dead when a bush stops growing, it's dead. Whatever is alive is growing, and this hope that is in us is growing with every day that we walk with God. Why don't you think back and remember the time when we had no hope and we were without God in this world? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says that. However, we have rebounded from no hope, and now according to to Romans 15, 13, and actually this was a prayer that Paul prayed for the Romans, but it was also Holy Spirit inspired, so it was a prayer the intercessory Holy Spirit prayed for the entire church by inspiring Paul to write these words. He said, now may the God of hope, Hope is so associated with God, he names himself with it. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that for you. I pray that abundant hope will overflow your heart and your life. Next, the fifth present tense benefit of Becoming a child of the resurrection and setting your faith on the open tomb is found in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. Healing is a promise associated with the resurrection. Listen to that verse, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And the spelling of the word sun there is S-U-N. Just like the rising of the sun is unstoppable, unconquerable, it cannot be hindered, it cannot be prevented. It is a cycle that all the demons in hell could try and prevent from happening and they would be utterly thwarted. They would be utterly defeated. And so when it was time For Jesus to rise from the dead, like the sun, nothing could hold him in that tomb. It was impossible for him to remain. And the son of righteousness arose with healing in his wings, just like light penetrates and permeates the darkness of this world when the sun rises. So healing penetrated the entire world so that when the gospel would be proclaimed, Jesus, the son of righteousness, would bring healing to the mind, to the heart, to the thought life, to the emotions, to the spirit, to the soul, and to the body of those that would set their faith on him. Body, soul, and spirit under his healing influence. He is the great physician who is still saying to people, will you be made whole? In other words, he presents the opportunity for wholeness. And if you say, yes, I believe that you rose from the dead and you have power to do it, then he may also say to you, your faith has made you whole. You don't have to be a broken person. You don't have to be a damaged person. You don't have to think in your mind, well, I'll never recover from those terrible mistakes I made in life or the damage that other people wrought in my life you can recover fully and you can be made whole. That's God's desire for you. So let the son of righteousness arise over you today and give you the dawning of a new day. Number six, the sixth present tense benefit, putting your faith in the resurrected king who came forth from the grave with brilliant light and the stone rolled away and the Roman seal on the tomb was futilely placed there because it was no match for the power of God. Whatever the world tries to do to hold you in the grips of death, it's futile, it's vain, it's no match for the power of God. Praise God. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and the promise was given then that I believe is still available now as soon as he was there before them, not an apparition, alive in a body, a glorious body, a physical body that was made glorious and glorified. And the first word he said to them was the word peace. Over and over again, whenever he appeared to them in the upper room, the first word was peace. But I would dare to say he did not say it in English because English was not spoken back then, not like it is now. I would dare to say he spoke in Hebrew, the sacred language of the Jewish people. And if he did, then when he appeared in their midst, he said the word shalom, which is a rich term with multiple meanings. Shalom doesn't just mean calmness of mind. Shalom means peace with God, as well as the peace of God peace from God. It means rest, welfare, health, happiness, prosperity, and wholeness in every part of your being. Nothing broken and nothing missing. It is a very prophetic pronouncement. Gentiles have a powerless way of greeting one another and leaving each other's presence. They say hello and goodbye. There's no power in that. But Jewish people must appreciate the power of words more. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so when they greet one another with shalom, they know it's a prophetic pronouncement, an appeal, a prayer, if you will. And when they depart from each other's presence, the same word is spoken, shalom. Jesus went through the mind-piercing pain of Calvary when he was crowned with thorns. I believe he suffered the mental anguish of all the human race, all whoever had lived and all whoever would live in this world. He felt the mind-crushing battles that we all go through when the thorns pierced his skull. But the Bible says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And because he was crowned with thorns, you and I can be crowned with life and glory and honor. We can be crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. And all five of these things are spoken of as crowns that rest upon the believer. No wonder the Bible says, be anxious for nothing but in everything By prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God that passes understanding will keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Oh, what a preserving power the shalom of God has. No wonder Jerusalem that has been under attack for centuries actually means possession of peace. It means possession of peace because the enemy's plans have failed. 28 times Jerusalem has been burnt to the ground. In the last days, all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against Jerusalem to battle. Why? It's not really them. It's the demonic forces that motivate them that want to somehow defeat God's plans to make that city new Jerusalem a new possession of peace where the peace of God will fill the world in such a way nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But we can have a foretaste of that universal peace right now in our lives through the resurrection, because the resurrected Savior appeared to his people then saying shalom or peace. And I believe he comes into your life with the same gift. He says, not as the world gives, give I unto you, but my peace I give unto you. Finally, the present tense benefit that I've labeled number seven is ultimate victory and total dominion. Because in Ephesians chapter two, it talks about how God has raised us up together. In other words, we are participating in the resurrection because there's an overflow of resurrection power from the empty tomb into our lives, it's as if the resurrection is continuing and God has raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians chapter two, verses four, five, and six. This describes a supreme privilege to be enthroned on high with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the throne is a position of power, authority, rest, victory, and dominion, where all your enemies become your footstool. Sin is an enemy to you. All satanic powers are enemies to you. The world system, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, everything that permeates the world system. It's all an enemy of your soul, but it's all under your feet. You have dominion over sin, dominion over sickness, dominion over satanic powers, dominion over the flesh, dominion over the world. It's all under your feet because you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You have been raised up or resurrected Remember the meaning of the word resurrection in our title, Children of the Resurrection, is standing up again. God has not only caused you to stand up, he's caused you to sit down in a position of rest. You can be calm and assured in the fact that your enemies are no longer in a position of dominion over you. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you because you have dominion over it. You are under the grace of God. So these are not just futuristic, hopeful things that will happen yet in the wonderful day of resurrection when Jesus comes again and we see him face to face, but these are benefits of the resurrection that we can experience right here and right now. This is the restoration of what Adam and Eve lost in the beginning. Remember The second thing God said, his second priority for them was, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. And then Jesus did say in the book of Revelation chapter three, verse 21, he who overcomes the same will sit with me in my throne. Again, let me emphasize, that's not just futuristic. That's right here, right now. So why don't you spend the rest of this week just rejoicing that you are in a place of supremacy and power and victory and total dominion because you have linked up with the one who conquered the grave and he's overflowed into your life with the same kind of power that brought him out that day.